morning. Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Uh, you can turn there in your Bibles. You know, I've heard it said, you are the company you keep. You are the company you keep. I've heard it said a different way, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Uh, you know, Psalm chapter 1 says it this way, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And so the question we have to wrestle with this morning is who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? We've been in the book of Galatians for several weeks. Uh, this is the last week of June. We're finishing up with, with our uh, Galatians series today. And the section that we're looking at here in Galatians, the, the exhortation that Paul gives us is keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Who are you walking with? You are the company that you keep. Now, we're wrapping up this series, so I, I think I need to give a little bit of uh, a summary of kind of what we've done so far. So Paul is an apostle. He has an authoritative gospel message. His message originates from the risen Lord Jesus and is confirmed by the apostles in Jerusalem. The message is basically this, that, that a person is justified before God, not by works of the law, but by faith in Christ. And he gathers his support and his evidence from the Old Testament. And Paul shows us that this has always been the case, that a person is justified before God by faith alone. That's how it's always, always been. So that means that attempting to keep the law of Moses in order to gain righteousness only results in a curse and in destruction. But faith in Christ leads to blessing and life. So in this way, believers are set free. We're set free from the slavery of sin. We're, uh, we're set free from the slavery that death brings into our lives. And we are set free from the necessity to keep the whole law of Moses. So we've said we're set free to live free. Now, Christ hasn't freed us from the law of Moses only to allow us to live however we feel like. There's actually something else. He, really what Christ has done is he has given us a new law to keep. That, that's dangerous to call it a law, but that's just what the Apostle Paul does in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He refers to something as the law of Christ. We're not to keep the law of Moses. We're to keep the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Paul tells us in Galatians, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a checklist. It's not a, a prescription of rituals. It's a law of love. And that can, there's a lot of gray area there. And, and, and that can leave us in a situation where we're not really sure what to do. Well, Christ hasn't left us alone to figure, figure it all out. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And so that's why Paul says, so walk by the Spirit. I'm not going to give you a checklist of rules to keep. Walk by the Spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. Keep in step with the Spirit. Don't keep in step with the flesh. 
That's the argument that he begins to make in Galatians chapter 5. We looked at the last couple of weeks. What does walking in step with the Holy Spirit look like? It looks like Galatians chapter 5 and Galatians chapter 6 as examples. So walking in step with the Holy Spirit looks like filling, uh, fulfilling the law of Christ and loving your neighbor. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit looks like avoiding the works of the flesh, listed there in Galatians chapter 5. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit looks like the fruit of the Spirit in your life, listed there in Galatians chapter 5. Walking in step with the Holy Spirit looks like bearing one another's burdens and restoring the brother who has sinned and repented. That's Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. And walking in step with the Holy Spirit looks like Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, which is what we're going to look at together. So why don't we go ahead and read these verses, and then we'll walk through it. And Paul writes, One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we submit to your word, but we need your help to understand it, to apply it to our lives, and to make changes. And so we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. Give us ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're gonna work through these verses together uh, and, and we're just gonna kind of walk through it and I'm gonna give you a heading to kind of help you keep track and to, maybe if you're keeping notes, you can write this down. So we're gonna begin with verse six and you could, you could give the heading to verse six generosity toward the church. Generosity towards the church. We're, we're right at the end of Paul's letter. This is the end of the main body. All that's left after this are just kind of some last remarks. This is kind of a, a primary place, the end of the body. And one of the last things that Paul is sure to include in this letter is a command for the members of the church to be generous towards the ministry of the church. He says there in verse six, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So let's make some sense of that together. Uh, here, here's what he says. There are those who do the learning and there are those who do the teaching and the learners have a responsibility towards the teachers. What is that responsibility? He says that they must share all good things. The learners must share all good things with the teachers. 
Now, what, what does he mean by share all good things? Well, when Paul uses this word share elsewhere in the New Testament, he, he's referring to generous giving. And when he uses this word for good things, and, and really elsewhere in the scripture, this word for good things, it refers to uh, things that are necessary for life. So let's put it all together. The responsibility of the learner is to generously provide for the teacher. And, and we're speaking of the church here. There are those who learn, there are those who teach, and it's the responsibility of the learner to generously provide for the teacher. This is the way church has worked, even from the first century. That's how it's worked. Here, here's what Paul's doing. When the churches began, when Christianity began, the very first churches were house churches. And you had a collection of people that would gather in a house, and someone would do the teaching. But, but no one was being paid to do the teaching. Everyone was, was working on their own. So what that meant was that the teacher had, had to worry about meeting his own needs and then with his leftover time figure out how to teach. And so what Paul is explaining here is that it, well, it works better if we all share the load. It, it works better if we all collectively take care of the teacher so that he can spend his time ministering to the people and not have to worry about taking care of his own needs. So... When we're going to apply this to Central, I want to say this at the outset. Please hear me. Uh, I'm speaking to members of Central at this point. Uh, there, there are some people in the room. You are new. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you've been coming for a while. You're an attender. If you're not a member of Central, I'm not really talking to you. I want you to hear what I'm saying so you can hear our heart. But we don't expect new people, attenders, to give. We do expect our members to give, financially and, and otherwise. Um, but, but he, hear my heart there, okay? So, so when you give generously to Central, here's what you're doing. Part of your money goes to support those who minister among you. So your generosity allows men and women who are on the church staff to spend their time to focus on serving you and to ministering to you without the added responsibility of, of figuring out how to support their families and then giving you the leftovers. So what we've discovered, uh, I've been here seven years, and what I've discovered is that the people of Central are generous. Like personally, my family has been blessed throughout the years by your generosity. You meet all of our needs. I, my, my family, we don't have to find another source of income. I don't have to go get another job. I'm, a, I'm able to give my daily attention to teaching, to the needs of the ministry. And I know that many of the other staff members feel the same way. Similarly, when you give generously to Central, what, what you do is you give us the opportunity to have a robust ministry strategy. So we have preschool and kids and youth and young adults and and men and women's ministries and middle adult ministries and senior adult ministries. We've got music. We've got a safety team. We've got Awanas on Wednesday nights. I'm going to leave stuff out. We have so many ministries. As a matter of fact, uh, we do some things like if you view the church as a business, uh, you, we do some things that are, that are dumb as a business. We, we give money away. We do local ministry. We give money away. We do, we do global missions and we give money away we do benevolence we give money away why because central is a generous place central makes a difference in our church in our community and all over the world 
Why? Because it's a Holy Spirit-driven generosity that permeates this people. As a generous people, you are a blessing to many. In this church, in this community, all over the world, those who are impacted by the multi-ministry approach of this church. So generosity towards the church is what Paul is speaking of in verse 6. But why would you want to do that? Well, he's going to explain that in verses 7 and 8. And the heading you can put there for verses 7 and 8 is universal principle. There's a universal principle. See, in verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. That's a universal principle in verse 7. Sowing and reaping. And, and what, what Paul does, the logic is, is there's sowing and there's reaping, and that works all over the place, but that also applies to the use of your finances. That also applies there. This image of sowing and reaping is used all throughout the Bible. Paul uses it again in 1 Corinthians, and he applies it to money again. So uh, Paul goes to the Corinthian church and he tells them there's some poor Christians in Jerusalem and we, we need some money to take care of them and, and I want you guys to contribute. So he goes to them and he tells them this and then he says, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul applies that to helping out the poor in Jerusalem. But in Galatians, he uses that for, for helping the teachers of the church meet their needs. It's grounded in the sowing and reaping principle. What is the sowing and reaping principle? Sowing and reaping are directly connected. There is direct correlation. So you will not plant an orange tree and then get apple fruit. That will not happen. Similarly, you will not live your life in wicked ways and then expect a reward from God. And you will not live your life in righteous ways and then reap punishment from God. Because God will not be mocked. That's what he says in verse 7. God will not be mocked. God will not be played the fool in the end. Let me, let me illustrate this for you. Imagine that you have two kinds of seeds. You go to the store, wherever, the seed store, wherever you buy seeds, and you buy two kinds of seeds. You get some blue bonnet seeds, and you get some bull nettle seeds, okay? Blue, blue bonnets, you know what those are. They, they decorate our highways in the springtime. You know, you, you squat down and take pictures in them. You know, you make your kids do it, and then they, like, cry, and then you have these pictures of kids crying in blue bonnets. And I don't know if you know what bull nettle is. I, I'm well aware of bull nettle. My great-grandmother uh, had a ranch out, in Harwood near Luling, and uh, she had bull nettle all over the place, and when I was a kid, I got into that. It hurts. You do not want to squat down in bull nettle and take a picture, because you will be crying uh, after that. So imagine you want to create a beautiful scene to take some pictures in, and so you, you buy two sets of seeds, and you, you go to create this beautiful scene, but you don't plant the blue bonnet seeds, you plant the bull nettle seeds, but you expect blue bonnets. That's foolish. 
you're planting one thing, that, that's what you're going to get. If you plant blue bonnet seeds, you expect blue bonnets to spring up. But if you plant bull nettle, what then? See, we can sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that we will not reap what we sow. So, so Paul references eternal life here uh, at the end of verse eight, and then in verse nine, he speaks about reaping in due season. He's referring to the end of all, all things. That, that means that the sowing and the reaping happen in different seasons. Are you following me? So, so the sowing happens in this life, but the reaping happens at the end of all things. At the end of all things, when we stand before the judgment seat of God. So here's the, here's the promise. Sowing and reaping, it, it's not an immediate thing. There aren't immediate results. Sowing and reaping happen in different seasons. And because you and I don't always see the immediate results, we can sometimes fool ourselves into thinking that we will not reap what we sow. And that's why Paul says in verse 7, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. God will not be shown to be in the wrong. There will never be a situation where someone uh, reaps something other than what they have sown. It's not going to happen. And, and Paul, what he's doing in verse 7, he's applying that to verse 6 where he's speaking about finances giving to the church. But then in verse eight, he shows us that it really applies to, to every part of our lives. Look in verse eight, he says, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So in, in verse eight, he has some keywords like hyperlinks that take us to other parts of Galatians. He's been speaking of spirit and flesh and life and destruction all throughout. For example, in, Gen in Galatians chapter five, he, he speaks of, of the works of the flesh, and anybody who, who lives these works of the flesh, they will not have the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, so here's what he's doing. He's pulling this language forward and adding to the imagery. He's saying, in your life in general, if, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the spirit, you're going to reap life. What is sowing? What, what does that mean? How do you sow to the flesh? How do you sow to the spirit? Sowing is your actions. It's your choices. It's your attitudes. It's your commitments. That's what sowing is. So, so think about the choices that you make. Let's just pull a bunch of examples just from, from life. What, what are some, what's some choices that you make? Think about the way that you use your time. Think about uh, the choices you make with your, your finances. Think about the way that you speak to your children or your involvement at church or the things that you watch, or what you wear, or what you read, whether it's in a book or something you're scrolling through. 
or what you say or the way that you treat people and your relationships. These are all choices, actions, commitments, attitudes that we have. And Paul says, you're going to reap what you sow. And if you reap to the Spirit, that is, if your choices are those which keep you in step with the Holy Spirit, if your, if your choices reflect the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, And guess what? That demonstrates that your life has been transformed by the power of the gospel. And when the time comes in due season, Paul says, you'll reap life. But if your choices don't keep in step with the Spirit, that means if your choices are of the flesh, like if, if your words don't reflect what Jesus would have you say, if your, if your choices reflect the works of the flesh that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, and he lists them out, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then he says, and things like this. Like, we're going to be here all day if I have to list the works of the flesh. Things like this. If your life reflects those things, then what he says is you, in due season, you won't reap life. You'll reap destruction. Your choices show that you're not in step with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not in step with the Holy Spirit, that seems to show us that your life has not been transformed by the power of the gospel. Do you see, you reap you reap what you sow. You see how this is an encouragement and a warning? Uh, it's a reason for hope, but it's also a reason for fear. It, it's a reason for fear. God will not be mocked. If I show myself sowing to the flesh, then the promise of Galatians 6 is judgment. The, the prophet Hosea, he used this language to speak to the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they, they didn't want anything to do with the Lord. They, they made their own idols. They made their own kings. They turned their back on the Lord. They rejected him. We don't want you. And so here's what the prophet Hosea said to them. They sow the wind. They shall reap the whirlwind. Israel is swallowed up. Already they are among the nations as a useless vessel. And then later on, Hosea says, you have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice, you have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors. Therefore, war shall arise among your people. Here's what Hosea is talking about. See, there's this really powerful nation called Assyria, and they were kind of sweeping through the ancient world at this time. And they had their sights set on Israel. And the Lord says, you don't want me? You're sowing to the wind. You're about to reap the whirlwind. You don't want me? Here comes Assyria. Fine, you don't want me. Deal with them on your own. And he says, you're going to reap 
the whirlwind. That is a warning in Hosea, but that is a warning in Galatians chapter 6. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. That is a warning. But it's also a reason for hope. Because listen to this. If I sow to the Spirit, no matter what my circumstances look like, I know I'm contributing to something with lasting results. No matter how bad things look for me, no matter what I'm up against, what I face, and what the immediate outcome of my life is, if I've sowed to the Spirit, then I've invested in something of eternal value. I've invested in something that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. And here's what I can know. If I I sow to the Spirit, here's what I can know. No matter what, my sacrifice is never in vain. Never. You reap what you sow. It's a reason for hope. It's a warning. And it applies to all of life. And then in verse 9, Paul's going to give us a little encouragement. In verse 9, if you wanted to write a heading, you could write, don't stop giving. Don't stop giving. In verse 9, you can see he says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Here's what this implies. Keeping in step with the Spirit is wearisome. It'll make you tired. The Holy Spirit's at a pace that maybe you're not ready for. My, my wife and I recently have been going on a lot of evening walks. Uh, not so much lately because it's 474 degrees outside. It's for exercise, but mostly I just like hanging out with my wife. So she, she wants to exercise. So when we walk around the neighborhood, there's like a difference of opinion about the speed of the walk. My wife wants to walk fast, get the heart rate up, you know, sweat a little bit. I just want to go for a stroll. That's all I want to do. Yeah, Jorge's with me. So there are times, more often than not, where I'll, I'll ask the question, can we slow down a little bit? I'm having a hard time keeping up with my wife. It's tiring keeping in step with my wife. Similarly, it is tiring keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the opportunities to do good are endless. He says there in verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good. When do we not have opportunity to do good? The opportunities are endless. The opportunities for us to be generous with our time and our talent and our treasure, they're endless. But let us not grow weary, he says. One one pastor helps us this way. He, He says this, we can grow weary. Is hardship a reason to quit? Is weariness a reason to complain? Or is tiring ourselves out by doing good a privilege? And then he says, we're gonna get tired doing something. Why not get tired doing good? Keeping in step with the Holy Spirit can be wearisome, but Paul says, don't. In due season, you will reap, so don't give up. And then finally, verse 
10. You, you can write this heading down to summarize verse 10. Comprehensive generosity. And then write this phrase, especially toward the church. In verse 10, he says, So then, as we have opportunity, we always have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There are many avenues for generosity. There are lots of places where you can sow goodness. And so Paul says, do good to everyone. And then he says, especially to the household of faith. That means the church. The household of faith is the church. Do good to everyone, especially the church. Why? Well, he calls them the household of faith. This church here, central, members, this is family. This is the family, and, and he says family first. Like if you have to pick, if you have to pick whether I'm going to be good to everyone else or I'm going to be good to my family, he says, well, you ought to pick, pick the church. If you're ever in that scenario, we ought to pick the church because family first. And that's what he says there in verse 10, especially towards the household of faith, the family you belong to. Now let me summarize these verses for you. Let me summarize kind of where we've been. We are, we are justified by faith in Christ. And those who are justified give evidence of their justification by walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that you can walk in step with the Holy Spirit is to be generous in all things, especially towards the church. Of all the ways that Paul could have ended his letter, he chooses generosity. It's that important. There are three things that I want to share with you, three things that I think of as I look at these verses together. The, the first one is this. God cares about how we use our time, talent, and treasure. God cares about our generosity. It's, Paul describes it as it's one of the ways of how you walk in step with the Spirit. It's how Paul ends his letter. He puts it in a prominent place for us to notice. He's not trying to bury it. And so the question that you have to wrestle with this morning is where are you sowing your time, talent, and treasure? Are you sowing into the spirit? Or are you sowing into the flesh? Notice that there are only two options. Paul lists two, flesh or spirit. There's, there's not a third option. Well, I'm not really sowing to the spirit uh, but I'm not sowing to the flesh. There's not a third option. It's one or the other. Where are you sowing? Here's the second thing I noticed from these verses. We invest in what we believe in. We invest in what we believe in. So like we want our kids to have the best opportunity. So we figure it out. And we get them to that school. We get them to that camp. We get them in, on that team. We, we figure it out. But we, we want to go on vacation, so we save money and we figure it out. We make a plan. We stick to it because those things are important. I'm telling you that the church is no less than that. We believe in it. We think it matters. And so as members of Central, as members, we believe in the preaching and the teaching of God's word here. 
We believe in the multifaceted approach to ministry. We believe in the ministers who spearhead those ministries. And because we believe in it, we invest. Not, not just money. Time, talent. We, we volunteer. We take the things that the Lord has gifted us with and, and we use it for the glory of God in our church. Our time, our talent, and our treasure. We find ways to support the things we believe in. And, and really, we find ways to support the things that we love. Do you love Central? Do you, do you believe in Central? Do you, do you love Central? The evidence that I have says you do. Because of your generosity, we sent over 150 kids to camp. Uh, your generosity helped them get there, which is a big expense, moving 150 plus people, you know, three hours away. And lives were changed. Walls were broken down. Heal the process of healing began in many lives. Three kids became believers in Jesus at camp. And you played a part in that. You didn't go to camp. You played a part in it because of your generosity. VBS, because of your generosity. Listen, over 200 adults served at VBS. You're generous with your time and your talent. Sometimes your talent is just availability. But you're generous. VBS doesn't happen if you don't volunteer. It's not going to happen. There's not enough of us on staff to make it go. We, we, because of your generosity, we can send money all over the world, and we can support missionaries all over the world, from here in Round Rock, and most people have never even heard of Round Rock, but we can support ministries all over the world because of your generosity. Because of your generosity, we can take care of things around here. Let me get, this is a weird one, but follow me. I'm going to get, I'm going to get there, Okay. These buildings are, are getting older, and we, we're having to replace every single AC on this campus. Um, we've already done a bunch. Uh, the, the buildings that need to be done are this one and the three-story building. We need new air conditioners. They're 20-plus years old. We have worked and worked and worked and kept them going. It, it's about time to replace them. I don't know if you've ever shopped air conditioners, commercial air conditioners. It's expensive. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And and we got to do it. But because of your generosity, because of our, our operations team, which is mostly made up, made up of, of lay people, smart kind of business people, who uh, they're you, they're you. <laughs> kind of keeping up with it and, and thinking ahead. Because of a, a staff that's full of integrity that doesn't just waste money but stays within the confines of the budget, we have the money to like write a check for air conditioners right now. It's because of your general, we don't, have to, we don't have to take out a loan, we don't have to come up here and ask, ask for more money, we don't have to do any of that because of your continued faithfulness and generosity throughout the years. And you might be thinking like, well, who cares about AC? That's not ministry. I care about air conditioning. <laughs> but, but not only for selfish reasons, here's why I care about air conditioning. I think this family is great. And I want more people to be a part of it. And our, our expectation is that you would go out and you would share with your family and your friends and your neighbors, your coworkers, people you meet on the street, that you would share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And eventually, you would bring those people with you to church. And here's what I'll say. This is the honest truth. They're not going to come here if it's hot. You won't come here if it's hot. It's just air conditioners, but it's not just air conditioners. It's people. It's people. And your generosity has made it possible for us to take care of things around here for ministry purposes. Because you, you invest in what you believe in. You invest and what you love. Here's my question for you to wrestle with. Do you love this church? Not the building, not the organization, the people. Do you, do you love this church? Do you believe in it? Do you want to partner with us on our journey? Do you want to help us, as Pastor Mark said last, last week, raise our sail to catch the wind of the Holy Spirit, to have him take us where he wants to take us? Are, 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 are you wanting to be a part of that? If you are, one of the ways that you get on board is by giving. Give. Time. Talent. Treasure. Generously. Sacrificially. Joyfully. For the glory of God among us and the glory of God in our community and all over the world. You give to what you believe in. And here's, here's the third thing. Finally. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Paul here in Galatians 6 is applying this to finances. He doesn't mean that if you give to the church, maybe later on he'll give back to you tenfold. That's not what he means. He's not promising you that you're going to get money back. He's actually promising that you're going to get something better back. Something better. Here's the logic. If you're generous, especially to the church, that's, that's evidence that you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And, and if you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, then, then that probably means that, that you're justified before God by faith. And if you're justified before God by faith, then you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And what you'll reap is eternal life. There's nothing better than that. Money doesn't matter at that point. It's just paper. But Paul also applies this principle to all of life. It's not just finances. In your life, are you sowing to the flesh or are you sowing to the spirit? And how do you know? How do you know? Here's one last encouragement for you. You, you reap what you sow, but here, here's my encouragement to you. You can't do anything about past sowing. You, you, might, be, you might be thinking, I've spent my life sowing to the wrong thing. E even up to this point, I... I've been sowing to the flesh. I've been sowing to the wrong thing. And, and now I'm worried because you just, you read me, the prophet Hosea, you sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. That the Lord is coming in judgment on Israel because of their continued wickedness. And maybe you hear that warning and it causes you to fear. Good. Good. 
Maybe you've made some bad choices in your life. And, and maybe even now you're beginning to reap the consequences of the choices that you've made. And you're afraid. That's good. But what does God have to say to you? What, what does God have for you? You reap what you sow. Tough. Is that what God has to say? No. Because Hosea continues in his prophecy. And here's what he tells the people of Israel. He says, how can I give you up? He says, my heart recoils within me. I can't do that. I can't just give up on you. This doesn't have to be the end of the story. Listen to what Hosea says. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. What, what do I do? Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. Do things that you haven't done before. Sow to the Spirit. It is time to seek the Lord. You, you can't do anything about what you've sowed in the past. You can't go back in time. What's done is done. So what are you going to do now? Break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord. Turn to the Lord. And he will abundantly pardon you. Turn to the Lord. He is eager to forgive. Turn to the Lord. He will rain righteousness on you. You're not justified before God because you've been good enough. That's never been true. You, know, you, you are justified. You have the ability to be justified before God because Christ is good enough. And all of your trust is